Khalid, and this is the Unlearning Podcast, the show where we hear stories and interviews with myself and guests that reveal rules, beliefs, and behaviors that are actively or have in the past prevented us from moving closer to living our most authentic and liberated lives. At the Unlearning, there really is no topic too silly or too serious for us to examine together. So join us each episode as we pull up the hood on why it is we do what we do and the areas in our lives that could benefit from an unlearning. Welcome to the new episode of the Unlearning Podcast. Uh, Before we get into the show, just wanted to give everyone a reminder to please make sure to give us feedback. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can give us a written review and a rating. Or if you're listening on Spotify, please do give us a rating. That really does help the show grow and help us to continue to bring out more content and get into more people's ears. So with that said... I want to introduce today's guest, who is a beautiful and amazing woman named Danae Logan. Danae is a individual and couples and family therapist. She is also a yoga teacher, and she would describe herself first and foremost as a seeker. And I'm so glad that she has spent so many years seeking because now we get to benefit from listening to all of the wisdom and revelations that have come to her in those years as a student. And today she's coming on to talk to us about the feminine and masculine energetics how they show up what we've been taught and basically what more we have to learn from looking at them so so without further ado here's Danae and I so I am so excited to be here with you and the hope is for us to just take the conversation wherever it may go and just make the space for this awesome work that you're doing Thank to come you, through. Angel. Thank you. I really appreciate and am so honored that you would ask me to come on. And um, yeah, I mean, I feel like this is such a, to me, a conversation that obviously I'm really passionate about and sort of, um, I believe has so much to do with how we are going to heal as a human race is sort of like coming into a point of integration with these dynamics. And so, um, yeah, thrilled to get to talk about it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, For people who are not me and know all about you, because I'm a fangirl here, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do and how you came to do it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Danae Logan and I'm based out of Los Angeles. I'm a marriage and family therapist. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm a spiritual teacher and that feels like a, a strange thing to step into the embodiment of, but I feel like it is the truth of what I feel passionate about my work in this life being. Um, the tools that I have sort of integrated within my own life, I feel like are such the lens through which I do the work that I do and feel like a calling to support others. And so I would say at this point that I, I feel that I'm a spiritual teacher and um, a group facilitator and you know, I think that you and I connected in some of the groups that um, I've led in something called the Tat Lab, which is just like a community, like where we are a lifeline. Yeah, it's it's been a virtual community, and I think a lifeline for so many of us throughout this yeah. very unique moment in history that we're going through. 
And so, yeah, it's just been an opportunity for us to come together and have some authentic conversations about what it is to be alive together, to see one another. And, you know, it's just been so beautiful for me to get to meet you in those rooms and connect with you. And so I'm so honored to be on your show. Thank you. The honor is mine. As somebody who's ingested some of your work and energy, I can say that it's very obvious that you have a calling and that you're on that path. And it's so beautiful and expanding for for me personally to see. And in regards to the TAT Lab and some of this work that you're doing, it's really been such a great reminder for me on how the universe is going to give us exactly what we need when Mm -hmm. we need it. You know what I mean? Like as times get hard, as we go through these like ebbs and flows, what you guys are doing, what you're doing in your work personally is just, again, a reminder. The universe has got our back. It's going to show up with what we need when we need it. It's just about as you always say, following the mm. breadcrumbs and trusting and like surrendering to the process. So I appreciate Angel, you. Thank you for that. And I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I feel like I facilitate groups in the Tat Lab, but the Tat Lab has been such a lifeline for me as well. Um, I feel like I am the best version of myself when I am in some way being of service in the world, when I have something to do to sort of get out of myself and out of my own headspace and show up for someone else. And, you know, I think all of us were going through this moment of just, you know, so much isolation, so much like hunger to be with one another and feel connected to one another in a way that really made us value what community is. And I certainly felt supported and have cried myself (laughs) through so many of the sessions in those groups. Um, And, you know, when when TATLAB started, like I had separated from my husband, I think, oh my gosh, at that point, like maybe six five or six months before. And so it was, you know, I was, I was going through so much cataclysmic change at once. And I think I started with a group on singlehood that ended up for me being like, yeah, let's all process and talk about all of this together. Cause I don't know, but let's get in it. So this is where we're at. This is where yeah. we're at. And it was such a, I mean, you know, we don't do that group anymore cause it felt like, we evolved out of singlehood and we just started to be like, yes, we're single, but we're so much more than just single. And so we want, you know, we felt hungry to have other conversations, but in the beginning it was like, yeah, let's, let's talk about what it is to be attempting to date during a pandemic or, you know, dealing with ghosting or situationships or whatever the things are. And I learned so much and was just like growing so much in the conversations I was having with other people, you know? I mean, I can also see how that community could be so helpful for somebody who's coming out of a long-term relationship, Mm. because if you're in a long-term relationship, the landscape changes so much that you can come out and be like, uh, Toto is home. I don't know where we are. Are we in Oz? Like, oh my God, it's so real. The yellow brick road. I have no idea. It's so real and so humbling to be honest. Like I can't tell you the extent to which I was so naive. Like there were no dating apps when I met my husband. That was not a thing. Right. So I felt like, you know, you've been giving people advice as a therapist. I don't know. Hopefully I don't give too much advice, but I've been sort of like holding space for what people are out here doing dealing with with not a lot of compassion for the realness of it and the realness of like how difficult you know and how vulnerable and scary um and I think it really it humbled me and really like opened my heart to like yes this is 
vulnerability on a level that I just had never experienced um, because it's different, you know, and it's certainly different as you're, you're aging and out here attempting to, to yeah. do that. There's nothing like experiential knowledge. Mm. And I'll go even further in saying experiential knowledge of a situation within a time frame that's contemporary. <laughs> because yeah. again, like you can have experienced something, but if it's a decade ago, the way that time changes everything so quickly, you might be completely out of touch with the, the current experience. And in parenthood, God oh. is that a theme and God is that a oh humbler. Because I'm over here looking at my kid and thinking, well, when I was, and I'm like, ooh, who do I sound like? <laughs> When I was your age. <laughs> it's like, how often does it sneak up on you and you're like, oh my God, I'm my mother right now. I am literally, like, I just felt myself embodying my mother. I yeah. know. It is. And I mean, talk yeah. about vulnerability. I, I say all the time that I think um, parenthood is the most vulnerable experience we can possibly have. It's mm. literally your heart walking around outside of your body for you to bear witness to. And oh my gosh, you know. That kind of segues a little bit into what I wanted to talk to you about sure. today, which is, you know, for a long time, we had certain conceptions around the masculine and the feminine <laughs> and masculine and feminine energy, what those words mean, how we were brought up to interpret yeah. them and the impact that it had. So I'm excited to dig in. Yeah, you know, it's funny. So I come from a depth psychology background. That's um, I went to Pacifica um, Graduate Institute, which is a school that's really based around um, Carl Jung's work, a little bit of Freud's work, but it's mm -hmm. really the study of the collective unconscious, right? So it's like the things that are happening below the surface, and it's really the study of the soul. So the bigger picture of you know who we are and what this this thing called being alive is, you know, beyond mm -hmm. like what maybe we've been conditioned to believe it is or whatever the rules um, of humanity are for us, like what else could be true beneath the surface, right? Yeah. Um, and one of the things that Carl Jung spoke to was these energetics that are alive within each of us as souls, which are masculine and feminine energetics, right? He called them the anima and the animus. And these energetics basically mean that, you know, if we think about the energetics of the masculine energy, and there are other ways to speak to that, you can say, um, you know, more linear energy, um, more of the like sun energy, there's like all kinds of ways other than saying actually masculine that you can speak to that energetic, but really it's the energetic of the ego, which is like the more, um, grounded in the physical, the more, um, you know, like concrete, tangible, um, holding mm -hmm. space energetic, right? And then the energetic of the feminine is that which is like just a little bit more difficult to name, the energy of the soul, the circular, the moon energy, um, the more fluid, um, the energy that's like just a little bit less tangible and tough to like put your finger on, right? So- mm -hmm. Jung spoke to the fact that all of us have both of these energetics within us. Um, and we live in a culture that is what I would argue is a fairly wounded patriarchal culture, which has really sort of denied all of its feminine, right? Um, so if you think about 
you know, and, and certainly I think, you know, we're here in America as we're having this conversation. I would say that American culture especially is a, a pretty wounded patriarchal culture, meaning it's yeah. just like there's, you know, a specific way that things should be done, sort of afraid of failure, um, needs to be right, um, you know, can some... Yes, very productivity, very like um, reactive sometimes, like aggressive. Like if you think about like our sports, all of those things are very sort of like what you think of when you think of our culture. You're sort of like wounded masculine energy. And the feminine is really sort of objectified, um, held with like, you know, just not a lot of like reverence and respect. It's sort of like, you know, if you think about the things that we say about the feminine, you know, it's like you throw like a girl, stop being a girl, don't be a girl. Um, what we tell little boys are things like man up, right? Like everything that, you know, the feminine energy that is within all of us is really sort of from very young, we are taught to reject. And I would say all of us, you know, I think that my premise and what has sort of become the obsession of my life is the extent to which not only are men really conditioned to reject and, you know, two things I, I didn't say, but that I want to sort of circle back and say, when I talk about these energetics, sometimes I'm speaking in very heteronormative terms, but these energetics I find are alive in all of us regardless, right? So regardless of how we identify in terms of gender, in terms of orientation, these energetics are alive within us. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if we think about the rejection of the feminine, I'm sort of obsessed with this idea that what happens in a wounded patriarchal culture is we really teach women as well to reject their feminine. And how that shows up is, you know, a feminist movement that while we are so unbelievably grateful for the feminist movement and all that it has given us in terms of rights and opportunities, it also was a feminist movement that taught us as women to behave like wounded men, right? Um, still very task productivity. You need to like do things a certain way. It's not energy of the feminine. It's not like the embracing of the feminine. I remember growing up and I know I'm not alone in this experience um, as a woman really getting the message that in order to be successful or not weak, not um, needy, I needed to be things that were really masculine. You know, I needed to like, yeah. I, I remember my mom telling me things about like, don't ever let anybody know that like you're on your menstrual cycle because then you're that woman, right? Then you're that woman that like people in the workplace think can't do your job. These were the types of messages that our mothers received, right? Every woman has a menstrual cycle, but it's something we shouldn't talk about. We should pretend that's not a thing, right? So that's just sort of like an example of one of the ways that like really early on, we're all conditioned to reject the feminine aspects of self. But this is true of, sorry, <laughs> I just like keep rambling. <laughs> no, no. My mind just went like, mm. ding. Um, because the thing, and I didn't have the beautiful like words to articulate it with, but you know, in conversations with my friends, especially around some of the feminist movement and reflecting, especially as Me Too came around and revived some of that mm -hmm. energy. And of course, much needed energy to empower and support women. For me, there was a dissonance that I felt some of the narrative was just a replication of how men were treating us. Yes. So it felt like that pendulum was swinging. And instead of finding that middle ground, we were then expressing a toxic femininity, a word that I haven't really heard used before, but I felt that. And I would talk to people about it and be like, what is this thing? Because 
it feels like we're just mirroring the same action. You know, basically still try to get higher in the hierarchy, not to meet, to meet, but to like still have that somebody has to be on top and on yes. bottom. And as a mom of a son, navigating that, you know, I think having a son is the reason, one of the reasons why the universe sent mm. me a boy is so that I could have that reflection and awareness in a way that I wouldn't have had if I never had a yeah. son. So what you're saying makes sense. Yeah. I think that's interesting to me that you and I share that because to me, that was sort of a moment of certainly breaking open some of the armory that I had. Um, what I would argue was like really wounded masculine armor that I was conditioned to wear, certainly in, in, yeah. in my marriage and in my life. And then I had this little boy and I will, I will cry just starting to think about the extent to which he sort of broke me open. And I had to really examine my relationship with the masculine and um, what that meant and how I held it and some of the ways I had been conditioned to hold it with just such contempt, but couldn't reconcile that with the vast love yeah. I was feeling for this little being and that I needed yeah. him to experience me differently. I needed him to experience himself differently than I was taught to experience men. And so I think that's really spot on what you just said, that there are ways that, you know, in fighting for equality or in um, attempting to shine a spotlight on some of the discrepancies and oppression that women are still very much facing, we are, we are sort of behaving like the oppressors, or we are sort of becoming the thing that we are speaking against. And that's sort of been yeah. one, what has been my obsession is like, at some point, I believe we got to move from problem to solution with whatever the thing is. And continuing to rail against the problem to me is not how we move into yeah. the space of solution. Um, if, if the problem was created by rejecting the feminine, which for my premise is a lot of what it is, I think how do yeah, we embrace yeah. feminine energy and bring that back into the collective as a way for all of us to heal? And Danae, I think that principle of what you're doing is actually um, at the core of so many paths that we can get to a point of equilibrium, of peace, mm. of unity across so many different yeah. issues. Because today we're talking about masculine and feminine energy, but as you're talking, I'm even thinking when it comes to like race. Mm -hmm as a person who's mixed, um, whatever that means. I, I think it means I'm part ratchet, <laughs> part like a spiritual goddess. That's what I am. But I um, if we're going to go on the ethnic, ethnic oh my route, God, I love then, you. you know, I always felt like I'm sitting outside and I'm looking at this and I'm like, it's not a race thing. Yeah. Right now we're talking about men and women and the confusion around what that has to do with masculine and feminine. I felt that same thing when it came to like, the cultures clashing within my family mm. and it being called a race issue. And so this little, this little thing that you're doing, like, I just want to follow it on all its paths and I'm excited to keep going down this one, but no, I think, I think this is really the yeah. key. So I teach mean, us. Teach us. I, you know, I'm always <laughs> like, well, no, easy there, but you know, I think what you just said is so spot on again to me because, you know, um, one of my friends, John Kim often says, seek to understand before seeking to be understood and sort of integrating that into my life and how I approach attempt to practice approaching whatever the issue is has yeah. really been a game changer for me. And I think um, that was very much true when we were sort of, you know, in this moment during 2020, where 
again, a, a spotlight was sh shown on all of these racial inequities that had been there for so long, but all of a sudden we were having difficult conversations. You know, we were indoors and there was like frustration that couldn't be denied and everyone was sort of tuned into their televisions yeah. and seeing what was happening. Um, and, you know, in that moment where George Floyd was murdered and um, I remember my response to it that that thought came into my head, you know, it was one of those things where, and some of this is the lens through which I've started to see the world as a therapist, but I remember, you know, and I only watched that video one time, but I remember sort of um, watching the man who was committing that horrific act. And instead of saying, um, you know, like, how could you do this? You know, I, I sort of thought, my God, what happened to you? You know? what happened to you that you could do that to another human being um, without any sort of response or feeling or difficulty, you know, as I was watching him, I, I really, I felt like my heartbreak for him. Yeah. Like, oh my God, the amount of pain someone has to be in to do such a thing. And I think that that energy is the energy of the feminine. You know, the feminine is, um, wants to connect, wants to understand, wants to um, hold with compassion and vulnerability. And that to me is what is missing in our culture, you know, that we have so removed ourselves from how do we see one another through the lens of what I would argue is source. You know, I think um, the energy of whatever we believe in terms of God, universe, the power that is bigger, um, yeah sees all of us through the lens of our, our inner children and, and, you know, where we've been harmed along this journey that is making it so we behave in the way that we are, but that is never the truth of who we are. And that is the energy of the feminine, you know, the energy that is tapped into that source energy. That is the most beautiful uh, explanation of the feminine that I've heard. Mm -hmm. And I can feel the love and truth in that. And also, when I watched um, the video with George Floyd, I struggled because I too felt heartbreak for not just him, but for the guy who was the perpetrator. When we hurt each other, we That's hurt right. ourselves. I've done work with ayahuasca and she has shown me, as she shows most people who engage in plant ceremony mm. with her, that we're all one. Yeah. I mean, I have not done an ayahuasca ceremony myself, but from everything <laughs> I understand, it is sort of, how do I say this? Like the words are not coming. Like, you know, it's like a expedited process of bringing us to that awareness of, you know, some of these spiritual principles that I think we can really work to understand and seek and unpack for years. I from everything I hear from everyone, it's like you were just bombarded with this like awareness of truths on a much more rapid level, which is amazing. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it very much is. And I can't pretend that I understand all of the science or even spiritual explanations around it. But I like to think of it as like these plants have this locked in ancient mm. wisdom within themselves mm -hmm. that when you partake of them in that way, especially in a ceremonial way that they share with you. And so it is just like, spitting through time and learning, you know, such a vast amount of information that's stored within them. So 
it's the best I can do. It's even after having done it, it's hard to explain. Well, I mean, and that again is the feminine, right? I think that so much of what has become the obsession of my life recently is how do I find tangible ways to explain or articulate what to me feels so clear now when, you know, it, it has been just such a like, like my mind has been blown open by there were things that I was experiencing in my life throughout my life that I didn't have words for in my marriage that I could feel, but didn't have words for as I was watching couples really struggling, but I like didn't have a way to like pinpoint, like this is what's going on here. And this is why. And as I started to really formulate like, oh, these are what these energies um, are and what they look like and what each energetic sort of is in its embodiment. It all just became like it came together in a way that just felt like, oh, now I see. And this is this is really just so healing to understand. And I think, you know, um, it's actually a lot more simple than then it feels like, yes, we can understand or um, attempt to understand men and women and relationships and all of these like ways that like we're striving to be something or like, you know, what's happening. But to me, a lot of it is just coming into integration with ourselves and and really reclaiming the, the aspects of ourselves that we've been conditioned to reject. Yeah. And you, you, you've talked about the feminine and the masculine with the term wounded. Can you tell us a little bit about the feminine energy and the masculine from the lens of whether it's wounded, whether it's, you know, healed is, is that how you refer to yeah. it? Or yeah. So like, what are the qualities of each just a little bit? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, when we are in our more wounded spaces, right. Um, I think, you know, the way that I've sort of there's like a four point grid that like when you came on retreat with us a little while ago that I like hand everybody out a grid that has like the four quadrants of um, wounded masculine, wounded feminine on the bottom. And then on the top I have wounded mass or excuse me, healthy masculine and healthy feminine. And you know what each of those quadrants represents. Now I believe that all of these things are sort of connected in terms of like our early attachment, um, the ways that we are, you know, meeting ourselves and like what our like insecurities and our fears are, but also like even the way that we're interacting with one another and the earth, frankly, like, I think it's all connected at this point. I'm like, Oh, this is how we heal everything. This is amazing. This is our attachment wounds. This is how we heal the earth. It's all together. Um, which is exciting if we're, it's circular. That's I mean, right. Of course. (laughs) See you. I I feel so seen. Dominique. I feel like you get me. Uh, I really feel seen. Um, Okay. But so to answer your question, let's start with like what wounded masculine energy looks like, right? So this is sort of like the dominating energetic, I would argue for our culture um, that certainly so many women are embodying. Um, A lot of like, you know, when we experience masculine energy in men, I would say that a lot of times it can be from a more wounded space because of what we condition men to be. But this is also when we think about it in terms of a attachment, this is our avoidant energy, right? Like, so this is the energy that really struggles to stay in intimacy and stay in connection, right? So that is the energy that is aggressive, stuck in the mind, more narcissistic energy, um, bullying, withdrawn, um, the energy that is just like needs to fix, needs to be right. Like you, you think about that sometimes, like when you hear like, 
you know, women talking about like male energy that just like needs to fix something and like isn't present and can't connect, right? Um, ignores emotions. This is all like wounded masculine energy, right? And even as we say it, right? Yes. And that's what's so fascinating. And this is another, guys, I'm, I'm raising my hand a little bit. And that's the thing. And that's the thing that I didn't say is that, you know, yes, all of us have these energetics within us, but none of these attic energies are static, right? So that means that like, sometimes I will be in wounded masculine energy. Sometimes I'll yeah. be in wounded feminine energy. It depends on where I am in my life. It depends on the relationships that I'm in and what they're sort of activating within me. Um, the work is to sort of attempt to identify where am I showing up? Is this a like, if once I understand what the energies are and sort of how, what they look like, then I can identify, yeah. oh, I'm acting like a really wounded masculine right now. <laughs> so on any, so what you're saying is on any given day, we can be showing up in our wounded masculine or in our wounded feminine or in our balanced or healed. I mean, hopefully that's the goal is that we've moved to a more integrated space, right? Um, but I would argue as a culture, most of us are are more to baseline of like swinging back, back and forth between wounded masculine and wounded feminine energy, right? So just like as okay. an example, I think for women, a lot of times we can be, um, and it's so interesting, like we will be in wounded masculine energy sometimes like in the workplace or in our careers, right? Like that's a lot of times like how it will show up. Motherhood is oftentimes like a place where we can be like really in like focused task, wounded masculine energy, right? Um, sometimes healthy masculine within motherhood, but we'll, we'll get to that. But certainly a lot like within yeah. like our, our way of being in our careers can be wounded masculine. Now, when we're dating sometimes as women, we will shift into wounded feminine energy. And again, it depends on the dynamic, right? It depends on the person that we're with. And it's it's all, you know, polarities. So I say the person that we're with, because if I'm a woman who's with a man, dating a man who's really in wounded masculine energy, what he's going to bring out in me is wounded feminine energy, right? So we will inevitably create polarity as human beings. It's just how we need to meet one another there. And, you know, an example of this is I would say more often than not in my marriage, I was operating from a space of really wounded masculine energy most of the time. Okay. After um, my marriage ended, when I dated, I, you know, some of the people that I dated were like a little bit what I would argue is more wounded masculine energy, more avoidant energy. All of a sudden, yeah. all of this like wounded feminine that I had not experienced came forward and I was like, oh, this is fascinating. I am all of a sudden <laughs> feeling a little bit, you know, insecure and attempting to manipulate and a little bit victimy, right? Like, so, you know, just some more of the, the wounded feminine energy, which I would argue is the anxious attachment is the, you know, inauthentic, like just showing you the the pretty versions of myself that I think you can tolerate seeing, mm -hmm. um, chasing, mm -hmm. lack of boundaries, so not saying the thing that's true when that's what's going on, right? Seeking validation externally, girl, girl, who are you telling? Um, <laughs> chasing love, obsessing a little bit, like needing validation, um, desperate, sometimes a little needy, like those are, I know. Hey. You're not supposed not, to be putting my Listen, I'm putting all of us on blast. But here's what's funny. Here's what's funny is so often when I work with couples, I find that women are often in their wounded masculine energy 
in um, the relationship. And often what the polarity that has been created, and this is the difficult thing to talk about, is that our society has created a lot of um, wounded feminine energy in our men when they're in relationships with women, which there's so much shame around. You know, I think that... um, women are like in this like consistent baseline I find Dominique of like resentment. They're like resentment that I have to do it all. I have to be it all. I have to carry the emotional weight and there's so much on me. So their baseline ends up being resentment for men. There's like this baseline of shame. Like I'm not enough for her. She doesn't want me. I'm constantly failing. She's always criticizing no matter what I do. Um, It's just not the right thing. And a lot of times it's like, you know, you hear like the cliche things of like, the man that's always like begging for sex from his wife. Right. And like just needy and like um, a little bit just like chasing love and like not authentic sense of self. Right. So these are the energetics of the wounded feminine. Yeah. I feel like I had um, and on any given day could have both of those corners on all of us, <laughs> all of us, which is why it's so important to, I believe, normalize that like all of us have these qualities in us. Yeah. There's no shame in this. And yeah. I think I, I really attempt to normalize that with clients, you know, regardless of what energy they're in, sort of saying we will fluctuate based on what's being activated yeah. in terms of our attachment wounds. Um, And all of us have attachment wounds around both of these areas to me. You know, over the last couple of years, um, I realized now that the last relationship I was in was an initiation. And um, yeah, I definitely entered that relationship with so much wounded masculine and feminine and did start to become very aware of that desire that women usually have with men of like, he's amazing. All I have to do is work with him on these three things and it would be perfect. And (laughs) hearing my partner say, you don't accept me for who I am Mm. and being like, yes, I do. And then realizing, wait a minute. No, I don't. No, I don't. And that is, you're right. Wounded masculine. It's the fix. It's the can't connect. You're so busy looking for them to be this other thing that you think you need that you can't connect where they are at that moment. And it was about halfway into the relationship that I had that realization and had to say, you're right. I'm sorry. I have Mm. been doing this thing and I've been not only doing it, but I was, you know, ignorantly gaslighting him because I didn't know I was doing it. So I kept saying, no, that's not true. I really did have to like, apologize. And that was just the beginning of my humbling. (laughs) I mean, I would argue that all of our relationships are a form of initiation. I think that all of our mirrors end up being, well, if we're willing to see them as that. And what you just said requires a, a tremendous amount of ego strength, right? To understand that I am not diminished in any way by taking personal responsibility for the way that I showed up in this relationship. Again, most of us are conditioned not to do that. It's very wounded masculine energy of like that narcissistic, I have to be right. If I am not, you know, if if I show any sort of um, imperfection, that means that I'm not worthy, right? So yeah, it. most of us, you know, sort of instinctually will defend against like, where is there some truth in, in what this person is saying, right? And we, we look for the discrepancies in what they're saying. Like we look for the things, like the little things that aren't true about what they're saying. But if we can say to ourselves instead, where might there be some truth in what they're saying and search for that, 
that is where our growth lies because I think that's the point. Like ultimately, like we could, you know, have very fulfilling yeah. lives and friendships and community in other ways. But to me, the point of partnership is expansion. And, um, you know, we'll get in when we talk to, about healthy masculine and feminine, yeah. I think how we do that. But um, I believe most of us, if not like 99% of us, were raised to be codependent. And um, what normally happens is when we realize that we've been really codependent in relationships, the pendulum swings really far in the opposite direction, and we sort of go into a space of hyper-independence. And that can look yeah. like, you know, I've been codependent in my family dynamic, and so in relationships, I don't want all that. So I'm just going to be hyper-independent yeah. for years of my life, right? Interdependence is the space where... I believe we integrate our healthy masculine and feminine, and we really work to do what you were just describing, which is taking personal responsibility for the way that I'm showing up in this dynamic, right? Yeah. And I, you know, I think the other part of that, as I went through that reflection, there was this like, okay, well, if I'm not accepting my partner for who they are, and that doesn't feel good to them, and nor, nor would it feel good for me mm -hmm. if somebody was trying to change me. But I still have this like, need for these things in a relationship that I'm not getting. Um, mm -hmm. whew, what does that mean? That's a big statement there, sister. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I want to accept them, but where does my self-love and boundary around my needs meet that? Girl, listen, you know, this is, and that becomes the like from problem to solution. What I have found is that there are a lot of conversations, articles, women's movements around like we have identified, we have thoroughly identified the problem. We all like, we know what patriarchy has done to us as a culture, right? Now, what is my question, right? Because I sit with couples and it's like, we can identify what the discrepancies are or what we're angry about or what isn't working until we're blue in the face. I don't love to swim there. I'm sort of that person that's like, okay, but now what? Like, how do we actually have fulfillment in these relationships? And I would argue, this is another codependency piece, right? And this is where I actually am, you know, it's not a popular opinion. And I think that it can be a little bit confronting of most of what we are taught in the relational landscape and in the like, you know, here's how we should interact. I think that it's still codependency a lot of times when we're talking about getting our needs met. I think most of our needs are our own responsibility. And we have been conditioned to believe as a culture, someone externally should be meeting yeah. my needs. Now, that's great in theory. <laughs> until they're not willing or able to, right? Like, yeah, someone can meet your needs when that comes from an authentic desire within them or when, um, you know, you're able to effectively communicate your needs back your needs. And I always say needs like really loosely because I think a lot of things that we think are, quote, needs are about our inability to self-soothe and our ability inability to sort of like deal with what is being activated within me, within myself, which... I think a lot of times it's way more our own responsibility than it is for someone else to do that for us. And the question becomes, how would I self-soothe? How would I take care of this need if there were no other person here to do it for me? Yeah. Yeah. So that rings a bell for me. I do some spiritual study with a path work, mm -hmm. and it's basically a collection of lectures by a German philosopher from the 1950s, I want to say it could be 40s named Eva Paracas. Mm. And Eva talks about real needs versus 
childhood needs. That's right. And this is where I went with that next step in you know, this process when I was like, wait, but I have these needs. Um, and so the work began to be about inner child work. I mean, spoken in different words, termed different things, but really inner child work, going back in, doing these deep meditations mm. in order to go to my inner child. Because when I was feeling abandoned by my partner, what was actually happening is I was abandoning my inner child. So the abandonment feeling was real. That's it. But what was actually happening is that I was abandoning myself as I sought like for the other person to fill my needs. And so then the work became about giving my inner child what she needs in those moments. And that turned it back inward. That's so, it. Yeah. Yeah. Because if we're looking sense. for an external source to do that, it always becomes a bucket with a hole in the bottom, right? Yeah. I need you to constantly be filling that bucket. If I don't learn how to sort of like put a cork in the hole myself and fill that need from within, right? From that source energy within me yeah. that is like the wellspring that can never run out, right? And then that becomes a very different dynamic relationship with love. It becomes, instead of the transactional, um, I love you based on what you do for me, love, that most of us were raised to believe love should be. I, I love him because he does this and this and this for me. That is transactional. That I would argue is actually not really love. Um, I believe, and what I'm sort of obsessed with shifting the paradigm, the narrative around is interdependent love sort of says, I fill my cup. And then loving you is sort of how do I show up and be of service to you in this love, right? So the mantra of this is Wayne Dyer, one of my favorite spiritual teachers, um, used to say the mantra of the lower self is I need more. The mantra of the higher self is how do I serve? I believe that can be applied to our love relationships as well. So if I'm filling my own cup, if I'm tending to my own inner child, if I'm validating my self-worth and my, you know, my innate goodness from within, I don't need you to do that for me. I my cup runneth over. So I have nothing yeah. but love to give to you. And then the question becomes, how do I show up and love you well? Now, if both of us are filling our own cups, if both of us have cups that are running over, then there's still synchronicity. It's just coming from an authentic desire within each of us. And I believe that no matter what, when anything is demanded of a human, there's just going to be resistance, right? If I have needs and I'm sort of demanding that you show up and meet my needs, inevitably over time, what I see in couples is it just creates unnecessary resistance, right? How do I meet yeah. that need for myself a little bit more? Um, and then give the love that I wish to receive and notice how that shifts. When we give love to the person that we want to receive from them, that person starts to energetically respond to us a little differently, you know? So I guess tying that back to how we're showing up in our wounded uh, masculine and feminine in relationships, how do we use this to like check in with ourselves and actually apply it in relationships. Yeah. So I'll start with us as women, because I feel like this is so often, you know, one of the most common dynamics that I see with couples. And this is like a really sort of codependent, um, I'm in deep resentment. I feel like I'm carrying all of the emotional weight. He's not doing enough. I don't feel seen by him. Again, I'm speaking heteronormatively, so yeah, forgive yeah. me on that. But, um, you know, I'm just, I'm really in a space of feeling victimized by my partner, right? 
I would say the solution to that, which I would argue is you in really wounded masculine energy, is to shift into feminine energy, right? How can I speak to him in the space of vulnerability? How can I talk to him about what I'm afraid of? How can I bring some lightness and play into our relationship? Um, and and trust, you know, the feminine, the healthy feminine. Um, so this is where we get into like some of what those healthy feminine qualities are. Those are the qualities in us that are like tapping into our intuition, our ability to uh, manifest, our loving energy, um, our ability to birth, the feminine births. She surrenders, she receives. This is a big one for women. We really struggle to receive as much as... Um, you know, we say, I want my partner to do A, B, C, and D. There's still an energy of like, it's really hard for us to receive. I want you to do this. But then when you try to do this, I'm standing behind you telling you why you're not doing it right. I'm still so in wounded masculine energy that it's like impossible for me to trust in you and my ability to receive from you, right? Um, healthy feminine energy is sensual and playful and connected to source energy. Um, she's authentic. She's not like hiding behind like any sort of veneer. She's grounded in truth. Um, and so that energy is what I tap into when I find myself in wounded masculine energy. So if I'm in wounded masculine, that means I need to try to shift into some healthy feminine. Yeah. I need to trust him. I need to say, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling scared and flooded. Can you help me? But then I got to trust. I got to surrender control and say, I trust him. I see the innate goodness in him. I believe in his ability to meet me where I'm asking him to meet me. So I'm going to stay out of it. I'm not going to like complain about the problem and then not trust that there's a possibility of being a solution, right? Like we can't have it both ways. Yeah. There are times when I think we can show up in our healthy feminine and that will change the dynamic. But I think a lot of people have also experienced times when they are willing to be vulnerable and then they still don't get that back. And so like the line between showing up in our healthy energetics and knowing also when you're just not in the right energy around the right thing or in the right relationship. I feel like that doubt and hope will have people staying in situations longer. Well, you said a couple pretty interesting words, right? You said doubt and hope, right? Which like, ooh, those polarities, right? Like they're like, they're confusing. Um, even as you speak the two words side by side. So which which was I in, right? Did I continue to doubt this person? Did I have hope for this relationship? Mm. Which was it? And, you know, what I find a lot of times, Dominique, is that you sort of demonstrated what I think people do. But that's not trust. That's not surrender. That's not actually seeing that person through their innate goodness. That's still transactional love. That's still I'm doing this because of what I need from you, right? Like, are there needs that I can get met? And listen, sometimes relationships need to expire. This isn't me saying that they shouldn't. I'm like exhibit A of like, yes, yeah, sometimes it's like we have grown beyond this container, right? I still would argue like it's a soul contract. It's an initiation. It's still an opportunity for me to take 100% responsibility for my part. And if I'm attempting to be vulnerable, but I'm doing there with my hands, you know, on my hips, just like waiting for you to not meet me where I need you to meet. That's not actually vulnerability. That's not actually authentically dropping into the feminine. It's still 
me sort of like in that armory of like, I'm ready for you to fail. I'm ready for you to let me down. Vulnerability is like, I am letting you see me wholeheartedly. And this is hard. Like, please don't like hear me as minimizing how hard what I'm asking is. Every part of what we have been conditioned to do and be is to not be at this level of vulnerability. But until we do that with our whole heart, we can't say that that person is not, you know, able or willing to meet us there because we've still been in the space of like, but I, I don't really fully trust that he can do it. Yeah. I was a runner. I was somebody who would break up, get back together, break up, get back together. And realizing, oh, this isn't about me being bad or him being bad. Relationships are meant to make us grow. And there comes a time sometimes in a relationship where you can't offer your partner the right environment, the right love, whatever, to help them grow and vice versa. And so for me, it stopped being about like, he's bad, I'm a victim, and turned more into what is for our highest good here. At the end of the day, we Mm -hmm. both love each other. And we both want for each other to be liberated. And is that facilitated by this relationship or not? I just, I think what you just said, I could not have articulated more beautifully. I think that that is it, right? Like when we are in the space where we are still supporting one another's continuous growth and expansion, and we are able to meet one another there, then it's beautiful. But sometimes our work is to release one another with love, you know, but it's always still bringing the focus back to me. If I if I'm releasing something um, based on the needs that aren't being met, like I still think that that is an opportunity for me to bring the focus back inward and ask, like, where is my wounded inner child looking to to be parented in some way? Um, and is that something that I can offer myself? Because I think like you know that dynamic will continue to show up in our next relationship until we figure out how to give whatever the thing is that we are looking for to ourselves. And I think so much of the time we are in such a space of ambivalence. It's like, I want this person to come here close to me and support me, but it's really difficult for me to tolerate, you know, when they do or if they do or the way that they are, you know? Yeah. And that goes, you know, they talk about mirror neurons and basically like the first seven years of our lives, we are, we're all born with a set of mirror neurons and we take in all this information from our families, the world around us and the interactions mm. we see, you know, if, if we do something that makes our parents smile, we register it as, oh, I get love and affection. It's almost like Pavlov's, like we're being uh, programmed to like, make sure we're doing things that will give us safety, security, Mm -hmm. and love, our human needs. And so depending on how our family dynamics were, how those interactions went, how we learned to receive love and act to receive love, um, that really says a lot about like what we'll look for in a relationship. And that is whether or not it was healthy, you know, what we saw was healthy or not. All that theory is right in this masculine and feminine wounded and, and, um, healthy versions of ourselves. And I'll go with you and say, yeah, it's all connected. I believe it is. And I do believe that this is like bigger, you know, spiritual principles that we're tapping into. I now sort of think that the universe brings us people 
based on what we need to understand yeah. at this point in our journey, you know, that it's always all perfect. Um, that this person sort of demonstrated me to me in ways that if I'm willing to take personal responsibility, if I'm willing to get curious and bring the focus back inward, there are always lessons that there's always gold to be mined. Um, but, you know, the, the work becomes I have to be willing to take personal responsibility. And that means 100%. 100% responsibility means I don't get to put this on that other person. And that's not me saying that sometimes relationships aren't, um, you know, just all of the things like I, I the word yeah, toxic yeah. is really difficult for me. So I like feel myself about to say it and like search for something else. But well, um, it's shame inducing. Yes. But like that there aren't relationships with unhealthy dynamics or that we're sort of playing out our wounds with one another. Like all of those things are true. And I would argue it's still, you know, wounded humans, right? And and I I think it becomes like, can I see that this is this person acting from a space in their wounds, but there's something within me that is drawing that person to me, or there is something within me that was attracted to that energy in that person. And that's what's useful for me, not to identify what's wrong with that person, because we can do that until we're blue in the face. But unfortunately, we will just continue to repeat the pattern until we understand why am I attracted to that in them, though. And whatever we're saying that the other person isn't doing, if we turn that thing on ourselves and really take a moment to step back and see where that applies to us. I think the trigger is because there's something within us too, that it's a mirror Nailed and that's it. the thing that gets us. <laughs> Sister, you're so wise. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's that exactly right. It's that shadow work is like when I point a finger at someone else, there's three fingers pointing back at me. So that means there's like deep activation because there's a lot of whatever I'm activated by mm. in me. Otherwise I wouldn't be activated by it. The thing that um, I realized really delayed progress was shame. And Brene Brown obviously has done so much great work around vulnerability mm. and talking to us around shame. And so I've become a little bit like um, obsessed with, like I said earlier, mirror neurons. Because for me, when you take it down to the science and you see that we're just running these programs that our parents taught us and that they got from their parents, and you just make it into this like, I'm in the tech world in my uh, nine to five job. <laughs> so you make us just like, you know, computer programs and mm. basically depersonalizing it. That helped me so much to realize like, I'm just running this program. And when I look at it from that lens and understand that this is just the code that was put into me and now I have the power as an adult to reprogram it and recode myself, yeah. I was able to turn and look at myself and not feel all of that shame that was stopping me from looking at it before. And so I think that like, that's a hack, you know, and what you're doing is a hack. Like, hey, this is just what we were taught about masculine and feminine. And this is how we got where we are with the wounded piece. Um, so I hope that you can share your quadrant with me so that I can post it with this. Of course. Yeah. And I think that what you're speaking to is so powerful because there are ways that each of us process information based on, you know, just the way that we experience the world, that this is what's going to resonate and help me to sort of put down some of the shame. And the reason I love astrology so much is I feel like astrology really helps us understand ourselves and the way that we process information and why. Um, so that there's really like, 
we put down so much of the shame of like who we innately are. It's just like, oh no, this is like where whatever like planet was when I was born. And that's why I experienced the world this way. And, you know, is I mean, you're obviously like a brilliant woman. <laughs> and when you're talking about, you know, computer codes, I'm like, I, yeah, that's like so over my head. Like I, I believe you, you know, I'm such a like felt in my body way of experiencing things. And so there's something about energetics that like it clicks for me and it makes sense, but it doesn't for everyone. Sometimes I'll be talking about these energies and people will be like, what? But if we can speak in terms of like something that is a little bit more linear, like these are codes, these are ways that we were programmed for some people that really clicks and makes it something that is tangible that like this quadrant that I was, um, that you were just speaking about, my friend Vanessa, who is very, um, like the more linear, the more logical, like the more like what might be considered masculine, um, this was like, finally she could like wrap her head around what I was saying in a way that when I would try to explain it to her in just energetic, she'd be like, I just, it's, I don't even know what you're saying to me, but like- It feels very diffuse to some people. And I mean, that is the moon energy. That's mm-hmm. the feminine. Totally. I'm like, you know, it's just like the the way you are with one another. It's energy. And people are like, what are you saying? Um, and so I think there has to be a way to to meet one another in a language that feels like the integration of our, our masculine and feminine. And, you know, I think that's part of the work that some of us are called to do, which is to translate, to translate mm-hmm. the felt sense of something into the word so that people can then find their way back to their own felt sense Um, because Mm -hmm. when we're not raised and taught from childhood to be in touch with that it can feel very far away and I think it's it's not it's right here but learning to stop and know how to recognize it is really difficult and so when we were talking about you you kind of changed it from masculine and feminine to linear versus circular it takes out so many of the obstacles that we already are pre-set um, to have just from our from how we were raised, especially in this country, around masculine and feminine. And it seems like it's all pitted against each other. And so yeah. when you came out and said linear and circular. Yeah, it's, it's tough for me, Dominique. I'll be really honest. And this is like the conundrum of like where I am with this. This is where I am um, unsettled. And this, this is sort of still alive for me is because there's something within me that really struggles with continuing to sort of um, negate the feminine completely, take the feminine out of the conversation. The feminine has been rejected for thousands of years. And so there's something about like everything you're saying is a hundred percent true. And a lot of times when I talk about these dynamics and especially like for men, I can sort of see the shutdown come over them or even marginalized groups that like have really struggled with not feeling like they fit in a box of masculine or feminine. Right. Um, and I understand, and that's real. And I feel a little bit unwilling to sort of like relegate the feminine into the shadow world again and say, she cannot exist. She does not have a place here. You know, that has just been what has been done to the feminine for so long. And there is just so much that is beautiful about the feminine within all of us. You know, I think um, just because something is difficult sometimes, I think like we need to lean into the like, curiosity about why before we get rid of it completely. Right. And so 
it's tough. Like on the one hand, I wholeheartedly want it to be an invitation to like come into this, these conversations and how do we get us there? And I just feel a little bit unwilling to say, and no part of this has anything to do with the feminine because yes, what is feminine within us is to me what I believe we are attempting to embrace and heal. And until we are willing to say the feminine exists, I don't know how we heal Mother Earth, Dominique. I don't know how we say there is like this divine source energy that has birthed all of this that we can't pretend anymore doesn't exist, you know? So let me play devil's advocate with you for a second. Please. I think it's worth it. Yeah. It was a situation where you just used it as the bridge that still led to the feminine. You know, I feel like we can, here's where I am now with it, right? Like, I feel like we can say like whatever feels most comfortable to you. But to me, ultimately, um, it is important to like what we sweep under the rug, what we can't talk about has power, right? If there is feminine energy within us, but it makes us uncomfortable to talk about it, I think we got to talk about it. Like that's just, it's a little bit like race, right? Like as long as we can't talk about our difference, if I don't see color, I don't see you, girl. If like, if you are something other than, you know, whatever the color is that I am, but we can't talk about that difference, I can't fully see you, right? If we can't talk about the feminine, then we can't say, there has been a problem with the fact that the feminine has been shamed or has negative connotation or that we really reject this or that it activates us to talk about it. Like until we can talk about it, it has power. Um, And I think that's that's giving wounded patriarchy power to say, oh no, but we don't want to talk about the feminine because that's going to make people uncomfortable. I would say, good, let's be uncomfortable. Let's, let's get in there, you know, and, and make it okay. Yeah, no, I, I feel, I'm, I'm feeling like a resistance as you're saying, as you're talking about it. And I think it's around like the idea that circular and linear means that we don't talk about masculine and feminine. That's not how it hit me when we were in retreat. It felt so much more like we arrived at masculine and feminine after moving through the computer code. You know, Mm. I just talked about it in terms of this is the code and we can reprogram our code. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like it takes you there to that bigger truth instead of feeling like you have to replace it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one (laughs) of the things. You're like, "Mm -hmm." I hear you and, right? I think if there was not so much negative connotation to the way we are raised to hold the feminine, I would be on board with that. But something about it still feels like we can't speak about the thing that everybody hates, which is the feminine, right? Like we can't speak about the thing that we are taught as women to reject within ourselves. So let's call it circular. And I would say that still is a very, and, and a little, like it, it's, it speaks to Marketing the fact that trick. You, it's the manipulative, <laughs> which is very ma- wounded masculine energy, which is what our culture is more comfortable with. And I would say, I think my resistance is that feels familiar in a way where I'm yeah. like, yeah, I see you and no, mm-hmm. let's talk about it. Culture that doesn't like, you know, being in the space of vulnerability and difficult conversations and surrendering control, all of mm. these things that are really feminine and really hard for us to do, let's try. You know, let's try to do it a little differently. You just brought up a memory back where I understand what you're saying. Um, I had a friend who I love very dearly, but she once told me, she said, you're not really black. 
Oh. She didn't have a lot of black friends. She was like, but you're not really black. And I realized in her mind, like, she didn't realize that she was loving a black person. Instead, she had relabeled it into, like, I was somehow not really black. And I felt that, like, pause, and I am black. Yes. And don't relabel me. It's not that I am not really black. It's that blackness is not what you think it is. Yes. So, all right. I hear you. You nailed it for me in that example, because the thing is, like, as long as I can't talk about it because it makes people uncomfortable, that to me says there's still something negative there. Yeah. And I don't know how to love my feminine if I can't even talk about it, right? Like, is there something about Black that is, like, not what I should be? Is there something negative about Black that makes it, like, better that I am not Black? You know, it's just, or that I'm not fully Black or whatever. Like, and I think that that is, to me... What is the intention a lot of times underneath the resistance, underneath the desire to relabel it something else? And I don't know, even as we're talking about it more, I feel unwilling to do that, Dominique. Like, I feel like, no, no, we're not doing that to the feminine anymore. That's been done long enough. Mm. Well, you I think you might have just made a convert out of me, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're changing the world. The feminine oh, okay. return. It's a renaissance. Reclaim. I think we're all we're all here with um, our own little purpose that, you know, nothing in nature is like something you can take out without throwing everything else out of balance in, in an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with us. And I think that's why humanity is out of balance, because not all of us are in sync with our purpose. And so that is what's causing like the dissonance and illness and, you know, dysfunction. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God, I love you. Thank you so much for having me. What a joy. Yeah, we'll have to do again because I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, I love talking to you. You're such a brilliant woman. Oh my God. Thank you for shining your light on me. And it's funny when you said something earlier, like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was thinking, I feel like my best self when I'm talking to you. Oh my God. Like, waterworks, you're making me cry. No, I'm serious. I'm like, oh my God. And honestly, that was the hard part about leaving the container. You guys provided this space where all of us were our best authentic selves Mm -hmm. because it was safe to be that. My people are the people who I feel that safeness around. And then I can be the Dominique that I'm meant to be because when I'm not safe, I don't show up as my best self. Oh my gosh. What you just said just took my breath away. And I do believe that we are the medicine for one another. You know, Um, I think that the light that we see in one another sort of like reflects back our own innate goodness. And um, you are such a gift, sister. It is such an honor to know you, truly. I love you. I really (laughs) love you. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you know when a new episode airs. Also, feel free to rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. For show feedback and requests, reach out to us at speakup at the-unlearning.com. You can also follow us at the-unlearning.podcast on Instagram or check out the show blog at the-unlearning.com.